Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Restoring Grace Radio on blogtalkradio.com. My name is David Fournier, Senior Instructor here at Restoring Grace. Thank you for joining us either live or on archives. Restoring Grace Radio is here to provide online lessons about the Christian faith, our history, our documents, and how to express our faith to a very needy world. Thank you for listening, and now, on to our broadcast. Greetings, everyone. My name is David Fournier, Senior Instructor here at Restoring Grace. And whether you're joining us live or on archive, thank you so much for hanging out with us. Uh, we are back for another episode of Candid Conversations. I cannot tell you um, how impressed I have been with Rebecca and the job that she has done. The Candid Conversations page on Facebook, you can find it. Type that in, Candid Conversations, like the page, uh, the comments, the messages, um, emails, all the things that have come through. Um, there's a set of, there's a listening audience out there. This is difficult subjects and the idea is to talk about it, to get in front of these things and to address them. One of the hopes that we had and we were able to accomplish it tonight is aside from Rebecca's expertise and experience in the arena was to find other uh, professionals who would be willing to come on and discuss their experiences with the different challenges uh, that we talk about here on the show. And tonight, Rebecca will be introducing a guest here in a few minutes who has, um, as he said in the pre-show while we were talking, he has an interesting mark on his resume. I'll let him tell you uh, about that. Um, but moving forward, again, thank you guys so much for hanging out with us. Now, in respect of everything going on with the coronavirus and all that's happening, and we're not going to get much into that, uh, Rebecca is at her safe house. Our guest is at his safe house. My house is never safe, but I'm here. So we are doing this by remote. So if there's a little stumbling around, if we get talking over each other, just hang in there with us. I will make sure that we get it taken care of. Again, thank you so much for joining us. At this point, um, I'm going to flip the mic over to Rebecca. Um, she's got some things to go over about uh, the candid conversations and some other things. She'll be introducing our guests. We'll have some dialogue. So Rebecca, uh, thanks for hanging out with us, and uh, I will turn it over to you. Hey, thank you, David. I'm actually in within my safe house. I'm in my safe bathroom today. So I'm talking to you from my bathroom because I just had to get away. You know, my house is, has a lot of young adult teenagers in and out. So, um, But I wanted to first discuss, you know, um, I will be absent on the page of the Canon Conversations for about another I'd say 20 days because I was kicked off Facebook again. You know, we talk about difficult subject matter and not everybody agrees with us talking about it. It has nothing to do with the Candid Conversations page, but it has to do with my personal profile. So I'm not deliberately ignoring anybody. I'm not trying not to be present. So I will be back in about 20 days and I'll be actively posting again. Um, like I said, not everybody agrees with what we talk about. Some people get offended, and uh, Facebook, you know, they're the judge of what goes on there, their stuff. So, um, But I also wanted to dis- 
discuss first before we get into our subject tonight um, things about what we call um, disaster area rape given the times we're going through and all it's something we should probably cover so um, we talk about it we talked about it in one of our first episodes actually as a kind of abuse which happens in disaster areas such as Haiti or Katrina or you know it can happen now uh, I know we haven't reached the level yet where people would be housed together outside of their homes, but, you know, who's to say it won't happen? And that's really scary. But um, if this time has taught us anything, it's just how fast the pandemic spreads and how, how little prepared we are. So um, I just wanted to discuss a couple safety things just in case we get to that level. So anytime there's a situation where there's a potential for a lot of people to be grouped together, um, for a period of time by either the government or Red Cross or just even in cases of areas prone to, like, looting where there's chaos. I just want to make sure everyone is aware that sexual abuse is always spiked by disaster um, it, because of several things, and it's somewhat preventable. But in times like this, it's always spiked. Um, so if you find yourself being housed in a small community or building because of a disaster, you have to be prepared. First of all, know how to contact authorities. You know, um, authorities are spread thin during these times and predators take advantage of that, of course. And But even if it's not possible to get police there right away, make sure you know who is like in charge, who you can report an emergency to right off the bat. Um, and also even with adults, uh, we, we all grew up hearing about the buddy system, um, it is effective. Use the buddy system. Um, and with your kids, they should never be without an adult ever in that situation. So find a buddy family maybe even that you can check in with. They can check in with you. Um, they've been, you know, buddy systems have been proven helpful, and they make us not only feel less alone in the situation, but, you know, accounted for and accountable to. Because um, disaster area rape is a violent crime, but it's a, a crime of opportunity. And because pedophiles are housed in the same area as children and families, with no way to just check on that. So often that's the biggest problem. There just is no way to check. If the person next to your eight-year-old is supposed to be registering as a sex offender or they aren't allowed around children, um, then there's little response from emergency services. So just know immediately who you can turn to if there are, are like, um, established group leaders or persons such as, like, Red Cross leaders. Know how to get a hold of them. Tell your kids how to. Um, there's also the always the added fear of chaos. Um, aftercare after a sex abuse is hard to see as well. Situations looking dis, uh, desperate, you know, and predators, like I said, will take advantage of it. It's what they do. So... Like I mentioned, the buddy system rules, talk to your children more than anything, talk to your children, make a certain place or plan to meet up regularly, check in often. I've never been through a disaster, um, and I tell you, I don't know that I could. It would be really hard. So um, I'm glad there are groups able to help, but I hate that we need them. Um, but I just wanted to throw that out there before we get going tonight. So um, our show tonight is really ugly. It's, it's something no one wants to talk about. Um, so if you have kids, just, you know, be aware that we're going to be talking about pedophiles tonight. It's ugly. It's a hard topic. And like any hard topic, we need to talk about it. You know, we're going to talk about it anyway. So we have a very important guest tonight. 
I'll introduce him in a minute, but um, I'm really excited to have him on. He's probably one of the most intelligent people I know, actually. And so pedophiles, our favorite. Um, they are the serial killers of murders, basically, as far as how they fit on the, spe- the uh, spectrum of sex offense. Um, but what people don't know, a lot of people don't know, is that pedophilia is actually a disorder. It's a qualified disorder within the psychology community. Um, and without treatment, pedophiles are not going to change without therapy. They just do not change. So when an offender is classified as a pedophile, there are specific cognitive behavioral therapies that, you know, they have proven effective as far as curbing their ideas about victims or making sure not to have activities involving children, access and all that. They sometimes use chemical castrations or like testosterone-reducing medications work, but without any treatment, a pedophile will offend against children until they're stopped, period. Um, We've talked about all kinds of sexual abuse, and pedophilia is unique in that it's a type of paraphilia, and a paraphilia is any extreme, like not within normal sexual behaviors or desires. Um, and it's okay to be labeled, you know, with a paraphilia, as far as I'm concerned, as long as it doesn't, you know, hurt others. You know, you have those people who are sexually attracted to, like, inanimate objects, like bridges, you know, or feet. But um, so that's okay, as long as they're not hurting anybody. But quite obviously, pedophilia hurts people. Um, and just blank, it's the attraction to sex with children who are prepubescent. And actually, believe it or not, only 40, about 40% of offenders who offend against children are classified as pedophiles. Um, But pedophiles literally believe that children deep down want these sexual experiences with them. They really believe that. And their victims are going to be under the age of about 13. Um, And if the offender is over the age of 16, but of course that can be different depending on things such as relationships if it's like ongoing or if the pedophile has an added incestual element to it. And you may think it's strange when I'm talking about this, but like I said, it's a disorder. It's, it's diagnosable. It's in the books. And, you know, the causes aren't known. Some research has suggests like it may run in families or a brain disorder, you know, and other research suggests it's the result of environment. Um, So we really don't know, but what most pedophiles have in common, though, are that they have been sexually abused in their childhood as well. So this is why it's so damn important, sorry I had to say that, damn important uh, for child victims to get therapy and for offenders to get therapy. And without it, it's just going to keep happening. And most pedophiles are male. I'll throw that out there. Of course, there are female pedophiles, but it's pretty rare. Um, And in like incestual situations. In the situation with my brother, he's a pedophile. Um, now, that couldn't have been predicted by me or, or even at his age, especially not by me at like 14 years old when um, I was 14 years old when he stopped doing it to me. And as most of you know, I'm, I'm doing a, a trilogy of books. And as you'll learn from my first book, just how riddled my childhood was with sexual abuse. Um, it would be pretty dismissive to think that my brother also wasn't abused. Um, but he 
he adamantly denies that he was abused, but I suspect that he was. Most pedophiles have been. Um, and other than the abuse that I suffered from him, I think was my most significant abuse in my childhood, certainly the most violent abuse came from our babysitter um, and also a pedophile. He began abusing me in my brother's room. Um, I don't know where my brother Eric was, but, you know, where was he? If he really wasn't abused, he was more likely watching or observing this happening to me. And I asked him years later if that babysitter abused him. He adamantly denied it. In fact, he he just he really denied it. But I suspect that's exactly what happened. So my brother, although at the time would not have been considered a pedophile because of my abuse, he went on to be a pedophile with an avid incest element. He's the worst kind of pedophile. Um, he'll go on and on until he stops. That's what pedophiles do. They work on opportunities, and they almost cannot help themselves. They're, so they're particularly dangerous. If you get a child in a room with a pedophile and there's opportunity, it's going to happen. My brother started off molesting me several times a week and did it for years, um, and he's only 13 months older than me. So he stopped when I was 14, and I used to think up until recently that he had stopped because I freaked out so hard on him the last time he did it, and I thought that's why he stopped. But he would have probably stopped soon after anyway because I was 14, not a prepubescent child anymore, not technically. He wasn't attracted to me. So my brother, he abused me from the ages of 7 to 14, and it could have happened earlier, but that's about when I remember. But when he stopped, I thought he stopped. So when I invited him into my home as an adult, I had no idea he was already a pedophile. Um, and then he ended up sexually abusing my three-year-old at the time and went on to abuse his son. And his son abused others and animals, and his victims went on to abuse. So you see, it's a serious snowball effect. If they're not caught, they're not going to change. So, I mean, and there are things to remember about pedophiles that, you know, can can keep your kids safe, can keep you safe, and just the community safe. But just remember, they do not change. Um, but in order to be considered a pedophile, they're, remember, they're typically attracted to children under 13, but they have to be at least 16. And, you know, you can't claim that horrible thing that you hear sometimes when you report and that I heard about my stepson assaulting my daughter. They were just curious. That's not a normal curiosity. Um, and if you think it is, then you probably need to get some help yourself. But um, pedophiles also hang out with each other. They find each other because it's a disorder that isn't acceptable. You know, their materials and their vices are harder to get than other paraphilia. You don't just have a website, you know, pedophiles.com, here we go, here's your material. So they tend to, to gravitate towards each other. They'll, they'll usually be in groups. Um, they can be... A, uh, sexually attracted to both male and female children and doesn't make them gay. Um, for example, something I heard from my family and my brother's defense about him molesting his son is, well, he's not gay, so it's not true. He's not gay, he wouldn't do that. Well, they don't have to be, or they can be. I mean, they don't discriminate. Pedophiles do not discriminate, especially if there's an added incestual attraction they will absolutely, their victims will be absolutely both male and female. It does not matter. They're whoever they have around them. It doesn't matter to them. If your child is around a pedophile, that pedophile will attempt with your child. I've tried to emphasize this, and I have to emphasize this. Pedophiles don't change. Only 
the only thing that changes is their access to the child. Um, and here to talk about that, I had an interesting conversation with our guest tonight. Um, his name is Larry Nutter, um, and he has unique experiences. He's a retired captain of DOC. Um, he did 10 years at, at a, in a therapeutic community, which I didn't know what that was, but in maximum prison, it's, he ran the only one there is in America. He started off as an officer, of course, in DOC um, for about six years, then he became sergeant lieutenant, and he was also manager of special needs in the territorial correctional facility. And he met, he uh, dealt with HIV uh, persons and mentally disabled and people with psychological disorder. Um, then he was a captain, and that's where he did the therapeutic community. Um, then he went to Cedar Springs. He did three years there. And where I met him, I met Larry about, I don't know, 16, 17 years ago. Um, I met him when he was the emergency psych evaluator at Memorial Hospital. Um, so we've known each other for a long time. And he was there for 13 years. And he is just so smart. Um, he is He goes on uh, the news a lot as I guess they would call it a subject matter expert in the areas of criminal, um, any, anything criminal or law enforcement related or corrections. He's a subject matter expert. So I am very pleased to have him here. I hope we have him on more. Um, but he and I had a conversation a while back about pedophiles. And something unique on his resume, as David said, is he, Larry has known thousands of pedophiles. And I'm hoping to get his perspective on uh, pedophilia and his and some of his story and experiences. So I'll turn it over to Larry. I'm very pleased to introduce him, Larry, my friend. Hello. Um, Hello. Yeah, the one thing that I would note on pedophiles is I cut them into two separate categories. There are pedophiles who think that they love children and that they, as you had stated earlier, want that the children want to be with them, they want to have sexual relations with them, and they groom these children. They find themselves in a position of trust, and they work themselves into a position of trust I remember in one cell house I worked in, I had six scoutmasters that I knew of as inmates. Wow. The, and those are the, of the two types of pedophiles that I have dealt with, they are the easiest to think about the ones that groom their victims the other type of pedophiles are violent pedophiles who are the people who kill kids um, I'm sorry the name slips my mind but the John Walsh is it um, who's on TV uh, 
somebody killed his six or seven year old son. Right. These people are extraordinarily dangerous. They have no real thoughts about loving children or that they want children to have mutual sexual relationships with them. They are just straight out predators. Probably the worst one that I can ever remember out of prison. Uh, he lived in Denver. He kidnapped a three-year-old girl, raped her, and his method of doing away with her, instead of just killing her outright, is he threw her in a mountain outhouse toilet. And an outhouse and she was 10 feet underground up to her neck in fecal matter for three days before somebody was I can't even hardly talk about it before people going by thought they heard cries coming out of the toilet and then she was rescued wow. he was eventually captured and numerous foul-ups happened with uh, his arrest and conviction, and he only got 10 years in prison. Laws in Colorado wow. changed over him. Wow. But uh, his additional punishment beyond all else, he was in protective custody at Centennial Correctional Facility, and the other pedophiles wouldn't even speak to him. Staff wouldn't speak to him. I wouldn't speak to him. When I had to move him from point A to point B, I would just point. Wow. Um, he was required to be released after about seven years in prison out of that 10-year sentence, but uh, the department and the prosecution filed appeals on it, and we kept him for every day of the 10 years. They did not allow his earned time or good time. He was held for 10 years. Then we moved to the other type of pedophile, the standard regressed pedophile who thinks that children want to be sexually abused and they want to sexually abuse them. The worst among those, and I dealt with a number of these people, are members of an organization called NAMBLA, the North American Man-Boy Love Association. They do not qualify for treatment for sex offenses uh, in order to be treated, you have to state two things. Number one is that you are guilty of the crime you were accused of, and two, that what you did was wrong. And members of NAMBLA will readily admit they're guilty of the crimes they're uh, accused of. As a matter of fact, they will brag that 
they have a hundred victims behind them. They're the most prolific sex offenders. But part two, they will not acknowledge what they did is wrong. So they, they can't feel receive treatment? They're not allowed to receive treatment. Not in the Department of Corrections or anywhere else that I'm aware of. You cannot treat people who do not believe that what they did was wrong. I didn't know that. Yeah, if you take a member of NAMBLA, they are trying to get the laws changed so that it's perfectly all right for them to pick up a six- or seven-year-old child and have sex with them. This is blowing my mind, Larry. Um, These are fairly wretched people. And if you talk to them, they're very open about discussing their sex crimes. I've had them tell me, Yeah, he was five, but you could just look at him and knew he was gay. Oh, my God. And they perp on the kids. Um, And almost inevitably, that type of pedophile is going to go through the grooming process. And that'll be... doing nice things for the child, buying the child video games, doing whatever. And then they slowly but surely start working their way up to having the child on their lap and starting to grope the child. And they keep progressing with their behavior until they're finally engaging in some sex act with the child. Uh, be it uh, intercourse, anal sex, um, uh, oral sex, they slowly move into that. I think when you see uh, members of the clergy engaging in sex with children, that is typically the method that they are using. Only they are adding in that they are uh, doing something that is uh, in God's will, if you will. Of course, this is completely and absolutely wrong, but but they have the same characteristic as all pedophiles, this is going to be our secret. Now, do you find, Larry, that um, pedophiles, I know there's actually a joke that we all say, like pedophiles will get theirs in prison, you know. Do you find that that, that that's actually true, um, that other offenders don't, I know they don't take kindly to pedophiles, but do they really um, go after them or is that just something we hope for or, you know, think of? In prisons where they have 
real major league protective custody units, the offender may be relatively safe. The one I told you at the Mountain Outhouse toilet, he wouldn't even have been, he was in a protective custody unit, and he was even there relatively safe. But um, in prisons, the Colorado Department of Corrections only recently reinstituted protective custody for many years. They did not have it. Um, when inmates, every quarter, they would get a thing called a green sheet. And the green sheet was their time computation sheet showing how much time they had done, how much time they had left to do, how much earned time they had, how much good time they had. And every inmate got one every quarter. But on that green sheet, it also showed what their offense was. And when an inmate would move into a new pod, <clears throat> the first thing that would happen is some tough guy in the pod would go up and say, let me see your green sheet. Mm. The inmate refused to provide his green sheet. You could pretty well surmise from that the person was a sex offender. Okay. Once they figured out the person was a sex offender or a pedophile, somebody would tell them, well, you're going to have, you know, you can't live in here. You can't live anywhere, but you can't live here. It wouldn't matter where you moved in this prison. You can't live there. The only way you can live in this cell house, in this pod, is if you pay rent to me. Uh Uh-oh. What's the rent? Money. Your family is going to have to mail my family X number of dollars a month. $50 a month, $100 a month, $200 a month. And if you don't pay rent, I'll kill you. Wow. And, you know, there you stand. If you don't have anybody in your family who's willing to send this guy money, they may kill you. Wow. Uh, That happened in cell houses that I worked in. I remember it was almost humorous when I worked at Lyman Correctional Facility. It wasn't in my cell house, but a pedophile got murdered. And we figured out in short order who killed him. He wasn't charging the guy rent. We sat down and interviewed the inmate who killed the pedophile and asked him, why did you do that? And his response was, the reason I am in prison is I was sexually assaulted in my childhood by a pedophile. And that pedophile was the guy I just killed. Oh, wow. He ruined my life as soon as I figured out he was in the same facility as me, I killed him. Wow. I can't say that I blame him. I know I shouldn't say that, but I, 
pedophilia ruins lives. I mean, and you've been around so many of them, thousands. And I, in my most recent um, career, was working with um, them after they did their DOC sentence and and they were out in the community. And the restrictions were pretty um, high. But you and I were having a conversation a couple months ago about what you would tell an offender, a pedophile specifically in prison, how to stop doing what they're doing, your advice to them when they would leave. Do you remember that conversation? Oh, yes. I would tell people getting out of prison, you don't like where you're at. You don't like me. You have thoroughly disliked all of your time here. The truth is, is you are always going to be a pedophile. When you start working your way into getting a job as the youth pastor assistant or youth choir director or Cub Scout leader or whatever you do out there, you sit down and you remember my face and you think of me. You think of this place. You have not changed. You will not change. But mm-hmm. you start remembering, keep in the, your mind, this place. Because this is right where you're going to be back. If you act, you will always be a pedophile The difference between prison and not prison is if you decide to act. Right. And the availability of children. And you would tell them, don't go getting a job as a youth pastor. Don't put yourself in that place. Because you know, as far as I know, Larry, that they don't change. (laughs) I mean, they just can't. It's the disorder. As I like to give an analogy, this, well, I guess she's still quite relevant. My movie star heartthrob is Nicole Kidman. Mm-hmm. I like redheads. I like tall, slender women. She is exactly what I find attractive. Okay. How much therapy do you think you would have to give me for me to no longer like Nicole Kidman? Oh, wow. Wow. This is what I like. This is what I'm attracted to. And you hear the therapies that, the therapies that are available, I mean, don't work as far as I'm concerned. I mean, I know there have been pedophiles who don't repeat offend, but it hasn't been because their mind has been changed about their desires. It has been, how do I curb these desires and not have access to children? How do I successfully curb these desires? So, you know, I can't tell you not to like redheads. I can't tell you not to like Nicole Kidman, even with aversion therapy, aversion therapy you know, they tried that in the 40s and, and 50s and 60s, and, you know, t- they tried it for, you know, homosexuality, which 
you know, you can't change someone. No, and that life was wrong. Is, yeah, exactly. Exactly. It is. Trying to change pedophiles is not wrong. But uh, what my thoughts have always been with changing statistics on treated versus untreated pedophiles do you remember the two things I told you you have to do to get into treatment? You have yeah, to say, you have I did I did what I was accused of, and that was wrong. Right. If you take someone who says that but never gets treatment, they are going to have a lower, much lower recidivism rate than somebody who refuses to say that. Sure. Uh, many, many, many pedophiles in prison are never given treatment because they will not acknowledge that they committed a, an offense. They are innocent. They were innocent right. of the last four times they've been convicted. You know, they will tell you, you know, I got on this um, beef the first time and I didn't do anything wrong and then I got out of prison and you know how things work as soon as some other sex offense happens their police are knocking at my door and taking me to prison again and I didn't do anything the second time I didn't do anything the third time well so these people really have it ingrained in them that they are innocent they didn't do anything wrong. They don't learn from experience because they no. they can't acknowledge they had the experience. So when you take that type of a pedophile versus somebody who says, I did it and that was wrong, you're going to have a lower recidivism rate even if that person doesn't get treatment. And a lot of times when you see somebody showing their statistics about they've lowered the recidivism rate of people who've gotten treatment, what they have is people who say, I did what I was accused of and that was wrong. So even if I hear someone say... Um you know, there's a low recidivism rate with sex offenders who get treatment. That really doesn't take into account all the offenders who treatment isn't available to them. I didn't know that, Larry. That that really scares me, that you cannot get treatment in in Department of Corrections unless you have, you know, unless you admit those two things. I didn't know that. That really scares me. Well, also being a therapist... I would absolutely not remotely try to treat somebody in that category. I told you I didn't do it. You know, mm -hmm. I was here on a bum beef. I didn't do it, and I can't be guilty. I can't say what I did was wrong because I didn't do anything. How am I going to treat that person? Really? You're right. Okay, what are we going to talk about today? 
Well, I might as well talk about the Broncos because we're not talking about you and your problems because you don't have any problems. So I can't imagine any therapist anywhere. Now, when I was a case manager, one of my principal jobs in dealing with sex offenders, I was in a prison with a very high population of sex offenders. And my job as a case manager with sex offenders was to bring them into treatment amenability. The people who were the sex offender treatment people would not even talk to them until I sent them a letter telling them inmate Smith now says that he is guilty and what he did was wrong. At that point, they would have me send them over to see them. That's interesting. I would see that question come up in my role as the as the jail mental health coordinator most recently. I would see that those two questions a lot. I never really put that two and two together. Um, but, you know, of course, these were the guys who were in treatment. And they were the most respectful. They were most behaved. They were most, you know, because the restrictions are so high. They couldn't have oh. Internet. They couldn't, you know. I will tell you, this is bad, but when I ran cell houses, if I could have had nothing but uh, that type of pedophile, they're the easiest people there are to manage. Yes. They are. They're trying to atone for their behavior, and they are willing to do anything to try to make things make the the make themselves feel better about themselves and make others feel better about them. That doesn't mean go ahead. That doesn't mean that when they get out of prison they aren't going to fall into the same pattern of behavior. But they are very easily managed. But I think we need to recognize the difference, too, though, between just a sex offender, even if it's against children, and a pedophile. Um, You know, if you have to qualify to be a pedophile, your victim has to be under 13 years um, of age, prepubescent, and only 40% of sex offenders against children qualify to be pedophiles. So, you know, I'm not sure that we're, that we can even say that the persons getting treatment are pedophiles, you know, um, even if they offended against children. But in my opinion, pedophiles without treatment, and and I don't know, it may be, it may be bad to say, but even with treatment, I think, um, just don't stop offending. If there's a child within that, that pedophile's life that they have access to, especially alone access to, um, they're going to take advantage of that. And oh, there, I agree. There is no doubt you are correct. And in my brother's case, see, he is—he's a pedophile. He, um, 
and he could not have been qualified as a pedophile based on his abuse to me because he's only 13 months older than me. And he stopped when I was 14, I thought, because I freaked out so bad the last time. And in my 14-year-old mind, I didn't think that he would do it again. I thought, oh, my, thank God he stopped. He, I freaked out. He was caught, essentially. You know, he's, he's done. And I went on to continue to protect him and because, be my brother's keeper, as I was raised to do, and later on invited him into my house, but not invited him, accepted him into my household. And I didn't think, because I didn't know about recidivism rates. I didn't know statistics. I didn't know anything about anything. I was young, you know, young in my 20s. I was, yes, I was a cop, but I was on the street. I didn't have the qualifications I do now. But I would have never, if someone was telling me the things I'm, I tell, like my family, for example, that I would never have had kids around him, never. He went on to offend against his son, and his son offended against my animals and, and other children, his siblings, and his siblings went on to offend against other children at school. I mean, it's just a, a huge snowball effect, and I think the more educated we can be about this disorder and the more we are aware that, that pedophiles exist and even even if they got caught, Larry, I'm learning today that they don't necessarily get treatment. But I think the more, the more we know, the better we are. Um, I mean, and, and you know a whole lot about this subject, unfortunately, for you, but um, thank God for people like you out there who are you know, knee-deep in it. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, I'm now retired, but the scars remain. The stories that I have heard over the years, I mean, just one of them was the outhouse incident of thousands. That's one that just really sticks out on my mind. I remember I had a pair of identical twin brothers in one of my cell houses who were both pedophiles, who were both offending against the same children. Mm. Um, Yeah, they are an like I say, it's just almost impossible to cure that, this. Uh, I think even with therapy to, with drug therapy to kill their testosterone, I don't feel that that's entirely effective. Right, because as we've discussed before, um, sex crimes aren't necessarily always sexual. They're not always about sex. It's about control a lot of the times. And just because they have lower testosterone, their testosterone, their desire might not change. Their activity might not change. And I've been on the fence about that, too, the chemical castration. I don't know where I stand on that. I don't know that. But you're saying you don't think it'd be effective anyway. I'm sure I know it can be effective and is effective in many cases. 
it isn't just entirely effective. Oh, right. Okay. But, well, I... Our game. Yeah, I will tell you, as far as testosterone, it's slightly off subject, but in the same general area, some of the most difficult offenders to deal with that I always felt were at an excessive level of testosterone were necrophiliacs. Um, they, and I'm not talking people who work in funeral homes, people who beat their victims to death and then sexually abused corpses and would come back for days to do it over and over again. Uh, those people tended to be extraordinarily violent and they just appeared physically to me to be excessively filled with testosterone. Wow. And those were dangerous people. Whereas, like I say, your average pedophile that was amenable to treatment was very meek, mild, and wanting to atone for their behavior. Right. So maybe testosterone-lowering medicine might help those people, not entirely, like you say. That's interesting. Well, I've learned a lot today. That actually frightens me quite a bit. Um, But I appreciate you so much um, coming on the show. And like I said, everybody, he is one of the most intelligent people that I know. And I know a lot of people. Um, and, David, I don't know if you have any questions for Larry either as we wrap up. You know, just a couple of things to, to think about is one of them is that, you know, we talk about things like chemical castrations. We talk about – and I know that's really difficult for people to hear, um, especially when we're trying to find a way that we're going to act on the more civilized side of things than, than the perpetrators do. Um, that's stunning. Anytime we talk about stuff like that, I just have a hard time getting my mind around it. I thought about what Larry had said earlier, that there are people in prisons who have killed people and have beaten people and assaulted people, and they look down on pedophiles. Um, that's interesting to me. It's, it's, it's interesting to me to see that. We also talked about the fact that for some of these people, this is a, a verifiable uh, mental condition, you can go into, I think it's a DF, DVSM manual, and you can find it there. And so the then diagnosis. you hear the argument. That, yeah, that's the one, Larry. Um, yeah, and there are people, the people that argue and say, and there, there are people who would argue and say, well, if he's got that, he can't help himself. There's so many different things, but one thing I'd like both of you to think about, especially with Larry's experience with the perpetrators and Rebecca, your experience with them on the outside of the fence now is coming back at some point and talking to our listeners about prevention. You mentioned an interesting word, Larry, that caught my attention. You talked about grooming and I've heard this over and over and over again. 
But it isn't somebody who just walks in and sees a kid and does something with a kid. Those cases, I'm sure, are there. But the higher percentage of them is people who you know who this person is. And they've got access and contact in your home and access and contact to mommy and daddy and their figure trust you talked about. Um, I think Boy Scout leaders or something was one of the things you talked about is finding a way to arm parents with like, how involved should I be in the decisions that my kids make and who they're hanging out with and people paying attention to them. It just seems like, you know, Rebecca had talked a couple of weeks ago about your kid comes home with something brand new, something, and you, you should, if you're a parent, you should ask the question, where they Absolutely. come from. And most parents wouldn't think twice about it. They would just say, Oh, that was just very nice. Of, of I don't want to a name, but that'd be very nice of so-and-so to, so I'd like you guys to, keep, to think about, and it doesn't have to be anytime soon, but at some point for us to be able to come back and say, what are some tools that we can get out to people to be able to see some of this? Because part of it's not going to stop. That's one thing I heard tonight loud and clear. Part of this isn't going to stop. No, it is not. And one thing I will tell you right now, this is not secret information, are you all aware that the Boy Scouts of America organization is in bankruptcy over lawsuits of sexual assaults on children? Yeah, Larry, it's funny you said that because it's all over the Facebook page. It'll come up as a sponsored ad on the side of a Facebook page where it says, uh, you know, I don't know how real it is, but it talks about get compensation from BSA because of these events. And I was like, I mean, I'd heard about it, but it's on Facebook. And Mormonism is in there too. You can throw Mormonism in there. You've seen those ads too. If you're sexually abused within Mormonism, such as I was, that babysitter that I talk about was the most violent offender towards me. He's a pedophile and he was provided through the Mormon church on a roster of babysitters that they have. They don't screen these people. They, you know, they're other teenagers babysitting your kids. They don't have a screening process for it. And, and when you report the sexual abuse, nothing happens. So, yeah, I think we do need to have an episode about what to look out for. There are certain things that are – it was interesting to me looking up uh, pedophilia. It, um, and some of the, the common traits, physical traits that some pedophiles have are astounding to me. You know, the physical traits, some are, are, a lot of them are redheads. A lot of them are shorter. A lot of them have problems with uh, their social life. Um, a lot of them have, uh, are, are eyesight impaired. It's, it's strange that they have come up with these characteristics. And in order for me to talk about it, I think I would have to do more research about that specifically. But it was really interesting to me that they have found common characteristics in pedophiles. I've always been very cautious. It, you know, and you get this feeling around people. You get that, that something's not right. You need to listen to that. Parents, you need to listen to that. If there's someone in the family that always – I mean, we had a whole episode on this you know, about signs to look for if there's someone in the family who's paying attention to your kid, you know, or if that kid comes home with gifts or if a person in your family, an uncle or something, always hangs out with younger friends, 18, 19 year friends, that if I'll stick together, you know. So we, I think that's a good idea to have 
another episode and, and talk about this because they're not going to change. They're in our homes. They look like Boy Scout leaders. They look like church members. They look like uncles. They look like your brother. Yes. And Larry, and Larry, I got a question for you, Larry. And I just want you to think about this because I don't think you can answer. But when you come back on the show, like I, I, I can't imagine, like I get up in the morning and I go to my job. And my job has its moments. But I don't really have to get psyched up or have to be prepared. I go there and I do my thing. I, when we get you back on the show, I'd like to talk about, like, how did you get up every day and walk into this kind of environment knowing what you're dealing with and the people you're dealing with and somehow wash that off? And, like, how did you deal with that experience? Again, not, I, I don't want to blindside you for an answer tonight, but I want you to think about that because at some point when we get you on the show, I'd like to know how you did it. All right. Actually, I could even talk about it now, but um, mostly, honestly, most people are not cut out to be correctional officers. Uh, Within the first five years, most people are going to go find something else to do. Some people have the personality and intestinal fortitude for it, and most people don't. Uh, Some of it is courage, and some of it is just a resolve that you are not going to be intimidated. I've been assaulted. I have had people try to kill me. But I just always recognized that was my job, and I went to it every day. And I wasn't particularly frightened. A lot of people are, and probably should be. And I look back on my life now and think I would stand alone in a pod of 50 violent people, most of them killers, who didn't like me a bit, 50 on one, and did not feel intimidated. It's just a way of that some people can go through the world. I think I'd agree with that. People ask me sometimes, well, why did you want to become a cop? And and it's just kind of your calling. When you think back on it, that's that's really all you can describe it as, as a calling. You can deal with these situations. You can go to, a, you know, a murdered two-year-old scene. You can go to, you just, somebody has to do it. And you happen to have the, the I don't know, personality or or just some people have it and some people don't. It's That's hard to to put a word to it, but, but I would agree with you, Larry. You just, it's a calling and some people have it and I'm glad you had it. You know, I met you you in a different circumstance, but you know, I met you at the hospital um, bringing uh, people in who were in crisis. And I remember back then meeting you being particularly impressed. Um, and, And I've been fortunate to keep in contact with you and I appreciate you very much for being on the show. 
I was really excited for the show, and and uh, we definitely intend on having you back. I hope if you're willing, if you can find time in your in your uh, your world for us. I know you are on the news a lot, handling that kind of stuff, and and do you have it in you to do that too? So we are fortunate to have you on with us. Well, thank you very much, Rebecca and David. And it was very nice to talk to both of you. You as well. And I will, I will keep in touch and I'll contact you um, about our next show if, if you don't mind. That sounds good. Okay. All right, folks. Well, thank you so much for joining us, whether live or archive again. Larry, thank you so much. Rebecca, as always. And again, folks, you can always listen to these shows. They are archived. They're available to you 24-7. Questions, comments, go to Candid Conversations page on Facebook. Leave us a message. Everything that comes through is confidential. We're more than glad to respond back. Folks, have a great night, and we'll be looking forward to our next broadcast of Candid Conversations.